everybody. Welcome back to the Digital Adoption Show by Wattfex, which is a digital adoption solution for any application on the web. This podcast here is your go-to show for a 360-degree view of digital adoption, learning, and training innovations in companies across the globe. And throughout this podcast, we have luminaries and influencers from the L&D, HR, and employee experience domain to discuss the hard and trending topics right now in this age of digital learning revolution. I'm your host, Gokul Suresh, and I'm the marketing manager at Wattfix. And it's my pleasure today to welcome our guest, Kelly Palmer, the chief learning officer of Decreed. Kelly has had a tremendous career in learning and development so far, working with companies like Sun Microsystems, Yahoo, and LinkedIn in senior leadership uh, in L&D particularly, and the latest as a CEO of Decreed. Uh, she is on a mission to change the way the world learns. She's a workplace futurist, a world-renowned speaker, innovator, practitioner, and the co-author of the book, The Expertise Economy. Kelly, welcome to the Digital Adoption Show. I'm truly excited to have you here and learn as much as possible about the smartest companies in the world using learning to engage, compete, and succeed. Well, I have to say it's such a pleasure to be with you uh, here today. So thanks for inviting me. Glad to have you here. So Kelly, before we move ahead, I'm sure the audience would love to hear more about you. And I'm, I'm sure there's plenty more that you could add to my introduction. Um, yeah, so just a little bit about you know myself. I, I've been in Silicon Valley my whole uh, career and I didn't always, um, I wasn't always in learning. I actually started out in product development and then moved into corporate strategy. And then I I realized that uh, I, I wasn't really having the impact in the world that I really wanted to have. And I decided to change careers. And I actually moved into corporate learning at that time. I was fortunate enough to be able to make that change within the company at Sun Microsystems where I was working. And mm-hmm. I got an opportunity to lead a very large learning organization there. We were actually a revenue generating learning group um, I think generating about a half a billion dollars a year from learning and consulting. So it was pretty amazing, but it was also my introduction into technology and into the digital space uh, because I think learning had started to go through a paradigm shift there. And uh, from Sun Microsystems, I, I moved to Yahoo when Oracle bought Sun in 2010. And I spent a couple of years at Yahoo before I was recruited to LinkedIn as their uh, first chief learning officer to start a learning organization from the ground up. And that was an amazing experience. I spent four years really scaling um, the company, going from 2,000 employees to over 11,000 employees and and really putting together the first learning strategy and learning organization there at LinkedIn with a huge uh, component of that being uh, technology and a, and a new way to learn through a learning uh, experience platform. And then a couple of years ago, I actually met the co-founder and executive chairman of Degreed, uh, David Blake, who's also my co-author of the book, The Expertise Economy, and learned what Degreed was doing and how they were on a mission to change the way the world learns. And I knew I had to be a part of that. And that's when I joined Degreed. And I've been uh, at Degreed for a, a couple of years now. So that's kind of my career journey. That's actually incredible, Kelly, and uh, I'm sure that's a dream career path for many. <laughs> I mean, if at all that happens, come on, Sun Microsystems, uh, VP of Learning at Yahoo, then uh, CLO at LinkedIn. And uh, you mentioned first CLO of LinkedIn, uh, at LinkedIn, right? Yes. 
Okay, that's actually interesting. So what was the drive behind all of this and this amazing journey so far? Um, the, the drive um, in, terms of, uh, in terms of how I followed my career path yeah, I mean, uh, it's just incredible. And it's just, um, you know, it, it's a dream career for path for many, you know, there's some great companies there. And uh, uh, you've been running and driving a lot more uh, experiments and, uh, uh, you know, newer innovations in these companies. So what kept you going? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think what was really interesting is, is that even in my first experience of being and learning at Sun Microsystems, there was this, you know, I, I worked under Carrie Williard, who was the first chief learning officer to be brought into Sun Microsystems. And she really brought in this idea that we could be doing learning differently. And I think that, you know, since it was my first job in a corporate, leading a corporate learning organization, um, she really influenced me a lot, realizing that we could be using technology in a variety of ways and we could be chunking up content into smaller pieces. So even thinking about micro learning back then, and this was back in 2006. So okay. I think I realized early on, you know, how much technology could impact the way we were thinking about learning. And, and so the journey started there. But interestingly enough, when, you know, I was recruited to um, Yahoo, and I was recruited to LinkedIn. And so in both of those roles, really, it was a lot because of my, of my technology background and my product development background, I think that led me to a couple of those positions where they wanted someone who was one thinking different about learning, but who also understood a bit about how technology could really intersect with adult education to try to do things new and differently. And one of the main reasons for that is is that learning traditionally has been pretty antiquated with a lot of lecture-based classroom-type learning. And I think for learning leaders who can think differently about how we can do that and really get um, employees engaged in the love of learning, that, that was kind of my mission too. So it so happened that I was recruited by companies who wanted the skills and expertise that I brought to the table there. And I, I think I was just very fortunate to to uh, have those opportunities. And then the the opportunity at Degreed was one um, you know, where I realized, hey, this is an opportunity. This is a company that's really, really changing the way the whole world could be thinking about learning. And that's that's when I uh, jumped on that. So I think that that's what drove me is just this idea that we could be doing this so much better and that uh, and that I could be in the middle of that and actually have a pretty big impact on the world. Yeah, I think uh, your LinkedIn profile actually says that. And, you know, um, I was actually pretty intrigued about that as well. So workplace futurist, that's what it says. And uh, there's so many things happening and constantly changing in any workplace environment and from innovation to technology to diversity uh, to culture. Uh, and the pace of change is too rapid to focus solely on uh, just a few generational differences. And I think uh, that's one of the re one of the reasons why uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure it came alongside uh, your entire career, as well as uh, you, you think that all leaders should also think like a futurist. So Kelly, what is your take on workplace futurist? And I'm sure this should add on to uh, the whole drive and the journey so far. Am I right? Uh, absolutely. So I, I think when, you know, you, you have a phrase like workplace futurist, it's really 
a, a forcing function and a way to say, look, there, the world of work is changing. That's, that means that the way we think about learning has to change as well. And I think that a lot of companies and a lot of learning organizations have, have a way to do things. They, they have a way that they design and develop learning. They have a way that they're delivering learning online and in person to their uh, employees. And, and I don't think people always want to, to change or to think about to, or to really think about dra dramatic change in terms of what's going to happen in the future. So this idea of a workplace futurist, and you're right, I think all leaders need to think about what's happening in the future. The people who are preparing now for the future are those that are going to be most successful. And it's hard to think out too far in the future, um, but even thinking two or three years out and saying, look, the way we're doing things is not is not really working. What does the future workplace look like in two or three years? And how does that mean we have to change as a result of that? So we talk a lot about what skills are going to be needed in the future. How is technology impacting? I mean, because we're seeing today technology that's impacting the world of work and learning, but think a few years ahead to the to the technology that's going to be coming. We have to um, be ahead of what's what's coming at us and not be complacent and just work with the tools that we've had. We've got to prepare. And because if you don't prepare, and we talk about this in the book, if you don't prepare and think about the future, it sneaks up on you and then you realize that you are not in a great competitive advantage for your company and that you're falling behind in terms of innovation. And so it's imperative that we think about how to prepare for the future. And that's, that's the whole idea behind a workplace futurist is one to think about all the things that are happening in the future, but also to help push others to think about what's happening in the future and to get ready for that. So uh, do you think uh, more of your colleagues in the learning and development space uh, actually, you know, taking over this title as workplace futurist? I'm sure it, it should be like a revolution and where people are always forward thinking. Right. I, I'm not sure that a lot of people are taking over the title, but I would say that um, some of the most forward thinking companies are doing exactly uh, what I just described. They're thinking ahead to prepare their companies for what's coming next so that their companies can be successful. And that is, you know, how can we think about what skills our employees need two or three years down the line as automation and digitization and acceleration are, are those trends that are happening in the workplace that, that are, are impacting us in such dramatic ways. So those learning leaders that are, that are thinking about those workplace trends, that are thinking about how they can help their companies be successful, I, I see that happening more and more. And especially in the last three, three years where, you know, you can't open a newspaper or, uh, or a post on LinkedIn or, or any online content that's not talking about how companies are thinking about upskilling and reskilling the workforce. It's it's on top, the top of mind for business leaders and also for L&D people. And so we're all trying to figure out how to best approach this. And so I'd say a lot of, a lot of people, although they might not have the title workplace futurist, they are in spirit, you know, thinking about the future and preparing for it. Makes complete sense, Kelly. And 
I think, uh, you know, one of the things that I kept seeing in your book as well as in, in the speeches that I've heard of you uh, is about always be learning, right? I'm sure there's a story behind that. And especially since you've been repeating that phrase everywhere, right? Uh, I, I'm sure that, you know, the audience would love to hear about that. Right. Actually, it ties a bit into what we were just talking about, this idea that people need to be thinking about what skills are going to be most important for the future and to be putting themselves on a path where they can actually be learning those new skills so that they stay relevant in the workplace. So this idea of always be learning actually comes from, you know, a lot of this is the mission behind Degree, the company that, that, I, that I work for, that I'm the chief learning officer for, is that uh, we believe that uh, a college education isn't enough to get you through uh, the entirety of your career. So we know that with how fast things are changing right now, that in order to be uh, ready for what's coming next, you need to always be learning, always be continuously learning new skills. And oftentimes I talk about that in terms of having the skill learning agility, and that's the curiosity and the motivation to be continuously learning and building new skills, thinking about your, your future. And so those people that are, are uh, motivated to learn new skills and to always be learning something new are those that are going to be the most successful in the workplace moving forward. And those are also going to be the people that employers are looking for to be the most successful candidates that they're trying to hire, that they're trying to retain at their company. Uh, people who are always learning, you know, and if you're hiring, I say this a lot too, if you're a hiring manager and you're wondering whether the candidate uh, is an agile learner, ask them what they learned last week, last month, or last year to get a sense of, are they always learning? And and then I think the other piece to this is, is thinking about broadening our definition of what learning is. I mean, a lot of times people think learning in the corporate world is just about those classroom trainings or maybe the online modules that that employers provide, but the the reality is is that we're learning all the time every day from a variety of sources, and that could be by listening to uh, a podcast or going to an event or uh, reading articles online, listening to books online, or or um, a variety of things. And I think we don't always count all of those things as part of our learning journey. And part of what we're doing at Degreed is helping people track all of that learning, whether it be informal learning or formal learning, or even learning on the job in the flow of work. We need to make all that learning count so that people can see, hey, I'm actually learning uh, skills and uh, getting ready for my future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, always be learning uh, could be a motto. And uh, uh, do you guys have stickers on that? I'm, I'm pretty sure you know you should get stickers on that. <laughs> I'm not sure that we have stickers, but I think that's a great idea. I'll, I'll tell our marketing department. Yeah, <laughs> right. And um, so uh, you you did mention a lot about the book, and I'm 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 assuming that uh, always be learning is one part, one big chunk in the book. And uh, I'm sure you have more stronger cases why the listeners of this podcast should read the book. And to all the people listening to this, so this book is co-written by David Blake, who is a co-founder of Degreed, and uh, Kelly herself. And uh, Kelly, I'd love for you to explain on the takeaways from the book uh, and uh, drive some new readers there. Right. So the, the expertise economy came about, you know, as David Blake and I um, met each other and realized that we both had this passion for helping change the way the world learns and kind of explaining 
what the landscape is there is is out there in terms of uh, um, the new way of learning and the future of work. And so, uh, David comes at it from an as an ed tech entrepreneur. David started Degreed, and he also um, was at a few other education tech startups. So he comes at it from that uh, mindset. And I came at the topic as a practitioner and being a leader of corporate learning organizations and actually uh, making some of these changes happen in, in the corporate world. And so that's how the book came about. We decided to write it together. And really, interestingly enough, it, it was released in September. And since we released it, more and more, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, uh, people are talking about the urgent need for the workforce to, uh, for people to upskill and reskill the workforce. And so that was the the first part of the book, just helping people realize. And this, uh, the other thing is that the book was written for business leaders and CEOs to understand how urgent learning is, knowing that HR and L&D people would gravitate towards this topic anyway. And interestingly enough, the PwC does a an annual report every year where they talk about what keeps CEOs up at night. And last year, the availability of key skills was number five on that list. And in 2019, uh, the availability of key skills is number three on what keeps CEOs up at night. And why is that? It's because if their employees don't have the right skills, they can't go after new market opportunities and they can't innovate. And more and more, we're seeing that companies don't survive as long as uh, they used to. And the average lifespan of a company is something like 15 years. And so CEOs are really taking this to heart, realizing that so much of work is being automated and AI and other components are, are, are factoring into that, especially acceleration and how fast things are moving. So that was the main idea is getting people to realize this urgent need to upskill and reskill the workforce. And then what we go into in the book is uh, talking about uh, learning cultures, for example, and how learning can be a competitive advantage for any company if they really focus on helping employees develop uh, skills for now and in, and in the future. We talk about the new way that people should think about content because content is now everywhere and anybody can learn anything from any device anywhere in the world. So how do we take advantage of that? We talk about the science behind how people really learn. And then we get into a whole chapter on choosing the right technology and uh, talking about some of the most innovative technology to help people really learn um, the skills that they need to in the future. And then we have a couple of uh, chapters on uh, learning analytics, how that's going to be really key to helping people understand how their people are learning and building skills in the future, how companies will understand, but also how learners will understand themselves, how they are learning and building skills. And then finally, we go into this idea of skills being the currency in the expertise economy, meaning, you know, if we really think more about what skills people have, rather than just what university they graduated from or what uh, company they work for, if we really think about skills and how that can really help drive what um, what work and what projects people will get in the future, that um, we can create internal career marketplaces where companies can actually help their talents learn and grow and move around the company to different projects and jobs, and then help people um, stay at their company longer. 
And so that those are, you know, some of the highlights of the book. We're getting, you know, great reaction from it from um, from both individuals, learning leaders, and uh, business leaders and CEOs. So, so it's been uh, something that's really resonating with people. That's brilliant, uh, Kelly. And uh, all the learning and uh, business leaders listening to this podcast, and we'd highly recommend Kelly's book. And uh, you know, Kelly, uh, why don't you tell them where where do where do they actually get hold of the book? Right. So if um, it's available on uh, Amazon.com, and it's also available both in uh, hard copy and in Audible and Kindle format. So if you go to Amazon, and do you have Amazon in in your area? Yeah, we do. We do. I can. Okay, so that's where you can find it. I believe it's also, we also have a website called theexpertiseeconomy.com. And if you want to learn more about um, David and I, or, or more about the book and the media coverage that we've gotten around that, you know, feel free to check out our website, theexpertiseeconomy.com. Yes, there you go. And uh, so Kelly, I, I was just a bit curious uh, when you were actually talking about uh, upskilling and reskilling and, uh, you know, in, in today's world, how can actually businesses uh, execute and you know, adopt and execute uh, upskilling and reskilling to drive digital adoption? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and I think that that's probably the question that's at the forefront of most people's minds right now, whether you're a business leader or whether you're a learning leader or a CHRO at a company, how do I put together a strategy around upskilling and reskilling the workforce? And that's the other part of the book I didn't really mention, but we, you know, the, the subtitle of the expertise economy is how the smartest companies use learning to engage, compete, and succeed. And so what we've done in the book is actually um, talk about how some of the most forward-thinking companies are putting together strategies to upskill and reskill uh, the workforce. And we've all, we also interviewed uh, business leaders like uh, Clayton Christensen and Sal Khan and Todd Rose from the Harvard Mind Brain and education department around around how they see the future of learning. So just a little plug because there are examples in the book, but I'll tell you that what, how most people are, uh, how, the, how some of the smartest companies are approaching upskilling and reskilling the workforce has to do with really focusing on skills. And that is really asking these basic questions. One is, do the employees at my company have the skills that they need to be um, to help the company win in the future. So, for example, we talk about Booz Allen Hamilton and the fact that they realized that a lot of their employees were going to need skills in data analytics. And they didn't have the people with those skills, enough people with those skills today, let alone when they look two or three years out. This is what I mean about looking into the future and preparing for the future. So they actually put a, an initiative in place called Data Science 5K, where they are helping mm -hmm. to upskill and reskill up to a quarter of their workforce over the next two to three years. And so they're using Degreed as a technology to help them do that. They're also partnering with General Assembly for some of the in-person hands-on learning, because I want people to understand that, you, you know, there's, there's a difference between just getting knowledge and then actually being able to to do something with with the knowledge that you gain. And so so when we talk about that in the book and when when companies talk about that as a strategy, you know, there are two parts to that. It's like how do you get the knowledge about for example data analytics, but then how do you get the 
the learning so that you can actually apply those skills on the job. And that's really the, the key. And, and, and so being able to measure what skills people have when they start and then being able to reassess um, and to say, okay, in, uh, in 2019, we had, you know, a thousand people with data analytics skills, but after this program, we now have 2000 people with data analytics skills at these levels. And to be able to actually quantify that by having a baseline saying, these are the skills our people have, these are the skills our people need, and now we can actually show you when we've um, actually got people with the skills that, that we need to be successful moving forward. I think that's the basic idea of how people are approaching the upskilling and reskilling strategies. Um, I think the other part is, is that you've really got to help employees with guidance around what skills are going to be most critical for your company moving forward. We saw um, an announcement recently that Amazon is now, <clears throat> I think, uh, putting together or, or spending $700 million on upskilling and reskilling their workforce. They haven't talked a lot about the the ways in which they're going to do it, but they know that automation is impacting their, their company and their employees in big ways. So they want to help their employees that are not going to have jobs anymore because of automation get new skills so that they can work in other parts of Amazon. And Amazon has even said this, that they're, they're also in some cases going to help people get skills so that they can get jobs outside of Amazon. So, so that's kind of the idea around an upskilling and reskilling strategy. Makes sense. And, uh, you know, talking about Amazon, that's actually pretty interesting. Uh, do you know any other companies who've been doing this phenomenally well? I, I think, uh, you know, examples could really help and uh, people to relate and also, you know, adopt to the strategy. So are there any other companies in your mind uh, that has been doing this upskilling and reskilling uh, phenomenally? Yes, actually, I'd say one of the companies that was one of the first to announce how important it was to upskill and reskill the worst workforce was AT&T and their mm -hmm. CEO famously said in the New York Times that the, all the employees need to be working or learning at least uh, five to ten hours a week on their own or their skills were going to be obsolete and they weren't necessarily going to have a job moving forward so it was kind of a stark uh, blunt comment about the importance of learning all the time uh, to, to gain the skills that you need. But then they, he didn't just make that announcement. Then they actually invested a lot in helping people get the tools, the technology, and the learning in order to build the skills that they need. So I'd say AT&T is a company that's put a lot of money into uh, reskilling and upskilling. And then uh, Boeing is another company that actually I think announced that they were putting $100 uh, million into, into uh, upskilling their workforce. And you'll see, I, I, like I said, if you look in the news almost every day, you'll see companies that are doing that. The company I'm working very closely with is Unilever and, and their CLO, Tim Munden, and Unilever has actually put together a pretty impressive uh, upskilling and reskilling strategy for their company and actually identifying the skills that employees will need to be successful moving forward at the company level, but also at the functional level. So here's the skills if you're in marketing at Unilever that you're going to need to focus on. And if you're in finance or if you're in IT, these are the skills that are in most demand and that we're going to need you to think about 
But in addition to the company giving guidance about what skills are going to be needed in the future, I think some of these forward-looking companies are also empowering their employees to say, look, we're going to give you guidance, but you should also think about your own career aspirations and understand, for example, if, you know, if you're if your goal in the future is to become a product manager, um, what are the skills that product managers need uh, most to be successful in the future? And to come up with your own skill plan for what skills you're going to need in order to fulfill your career aspirations. So it's kind of a two-pronged approach where the company's giving guidance for what they're going to need for their company, but they're also empowering their employees to learn the skills that are most valuable for their careers moving forward. And, and uh, those two pieces converge at, at some point, which I think is a, a really great strategy. I mean, great examples, Kelly. Um, actually, that, that brings another question to my mind. Uh, there would be a lot of friction involved in getting these plans uh, uh, you know, streamlined. And I'm sure uh, all these companies would have faced those challenges uh, in some way or the other. Right. So how do you actually tackle those friction? I mean, definitely it's, it's people process in the end. It's, it's completely mindset related and, uh, you know, making a person to uh, believe that they should be upskilling and reskilling on a continuous basis is something uh, which the company should do, but maybe the individual may not be ready to do it. How do you tackle such a situation? Yeah, I think that this is the, the part in the book where we talk about learning cultures and learning as a competitive advantage. I think this idea, I mean, when I gave the example of AT&T's CEO talking to all his employees about the urgent need to, to, uh, to be learning new skills and to be learning on your own, the, the reason that, um, that that becomes so important is that I, I do believe, and L&D has been talking about this for a long time, is that employees should own their own development. Um, and we did a study recently with Degreed and Harvard Business Publishing talking about how the workforce learns. And what we realized is that people are actually spending their own time and their own money, a lot of them, to learn the skills that they need. And they told us that they would even learn more of it if they uh, were given credit for it. So I th and then there was another article that came out recently that said that managers were more, um, were more reluctant to, to think that their employees wanted to build new skills, whereas employees actually were welcoming that challenge. So this idea that, that we can empower employees, I mean, if you look at the old model of learning, it has been very much command and control. There's a central organization that tells you exactly what you need to learn, when you need to learn it, and employees, in some cases, were used to that, but we haven't been very successful with that kind of model. So I think moving forward, this idea that that we're all in it together, that companies can can empower employees and give them guidance, uh, but employees need to actually take some more ownership over their learning and what skills they want to build. And then what you have at the end is this this learning culture. So this is where it comes down to, you need to create a learning culture at your company where managers are encouraging employees to learn all the time, every day as part of their job, but employees also feel like they're empowered to, to learn some of the things that they're really passionate about and that help move their um, career forward so that they're motivated to actually want to learn some of these things. So I think that that's part of the key to success when you think about employees wanting to learn new things. Now, your part of your question is, is what do you do about those employees who don't necessarily 
feel motivated or want to learn new skills. I think the reality is is that that the the workforce of the future is is not going to be as tolerant around people who don't have those skills. I think those people are going to find out that their skills are becoming obsolete and that they can't compete in the marketplace moving forward. So I think getting that message out and saying, look, it's in your best interest for you to keep up on your skills all the time so that one, so that you can help your company, but two, so you can help yourself in your careers and not have your skills become so obsolete, you, you won't have a job anymore. So I think those are the two messages out there. Perfect. I think uh, that's the place where platforms like Degreed also can help, right? And I believe it's a learn uh, learning experience platform. And most of the listeners might be uh, familiar with uh, learning management platforms like, I mean, LMSs, right? So, um, right. Kelly, so what's the difference? So what's the difference between a learning experience platform and a learning management platform? Right. And, you know, this goes back to uh, the beginning of our conversation when, you know, when I talked about this idea that technology can uh-huh. do so much yeah. more than, you know, than what we have been using it for in learning. So for the longest time, for decades, the only technology really that learning Uh, organizations have relied on as a learning management system and a learning management system was really designed for an administrator and it's actually designed so that you could track compliance training and so that people could register for in-person classroom training that was the reason LMSs were created in the first place and so then you could get transcripts of whether people completed compliance training or whether they completed the classroom training and so that then you could report out to uh, management that yes these people completed this this training um, that is an old an old model and also we know through the research that's been out there that that kind of learning and training just isn't effective um, the the stats show that 87 billion dollars were spent on learning programs that weren't very effective and that most in our recent study with Harvard Business Publishing and Degreed what we found through that study is is that most people believe that um, that what L&D organizations are providing in that kind of model is is really a, a negative um, influence on on employees most employees aren't happy with that so what what Degreed sought to do was to say, how can we use technology to help people learn the way they really want to learn? And so um, a learning experience platform is not an LMS, and it's not a place where you uh, create content. It's actually the the layer on top that helps people build a learning ecosystem. So what Degree does is it connects your learning management system. It connects all your content. So if you have paid content or free content or content in your learning management system, Degree can connect all of that, integrate all of that. And so the layer on top of it is the is the experience that is great for a learner. So if you want to go and you want to see uh, uh, curated content, personalized content, if you want to recommend content to people, that's the layer that Degreed provides, and all the content and all the technology is is under is underneath and kind of not exposed to the learner. So the learner gets this great experience. Um, the other thing that Degree does is allow people to get learning what they need when they need it. So we have a browser extension, for example. So if I'm out reading an article about machine learning or 
or talent analytics, I can click on that extension and I can add it to my degree profile. And this idea about a degree profile is, is that you'll have a learning record of everything that you're learning, um, both from an individual level and at the, you know, at the company level, um, so that you can see what you're learning and the skills that you're building. And, it, and when I mentioned earlier, broadening the definition of learning, so this includes all kinds of learning. It means if you're listening to a podcast or if you're reading a book, if you're going to an in-person learning or if you're um, doing a compliance training, it's all tracked um, in the learning experience platform, but not through transcripts, but rather through data analytics, showing you what you're learning and what skills you're building. So um, Degreed started out as a way for people to um, discover all the learning that's out there and to be able to track and measure all the learning. But um, now what we're doing is helping people map their learning to how they're building skills so they can fuel their careers. And so it's everything that we've been talking about today in terms of upskilling and reskilling. If people understand what skills they have, what skills they need, they can actually track that and, um, and measure that through our learning experience platform, Degreed. And so that's, uh, that's where the future is headed in terms of technology and really focusing on the learner rather than the administrator and also giving the company a, a view of what people are doing as well as the individual. So that, that's uh, in a nutshell. Awesome. I mean, that's that's just well put, uh, Kelly. And I, I'm, I'm pretty sure people would definitely check in about learning experience platforms like uh, Degreed, more about it. And uh, it's it's actually an integrated way of learning. And uh, you have a lot of things available to you uh, at the click of your mouse. And I think that's, that's actually quite interesting. Kelly, so you did mention that uh, uh, it can have multiple types of content, let's say podcasts or, you know, books or uh, blogs and everything. So how do you actually uh, create such content? And I think that's a massive lot of content there, right? So what is, what is behind all these content creation process? Well, that's a great question because the, the point is, is that, um, you know, when I started at Sun Microsystems in the learning organization, uh, as, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, we used to think we had to create all of our own content. And in some ways we did, but think about what's happened over the last 10 or 15 years. There's an explosion of content. There's so much content out there that people are often overwhelmed. We have a chapter in the book about this as well. It's called Combat Content Overload. And this idea that you can now learn about any topic from any device anywhere in the world at low or no cost. There's, so what that means for L&D professionals is, is that we don't necessarily have to create all of our own content. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have to create any content because I would say even with my experience at LinkedIn, you know, what were we creating? We were creating content that was specific to LinkedIn that no one else could create. So we created our onboarding. We created some specific management and leadership uh, programs that were specific to LinkedIn. But then we also used all of this great content that's out there. So for example, if you want to learn about uh, data analytics, or if you want to learn about giving great presentation skills, or if you want to learn about negotiating skills, or if you want to learn about tools like uh, any of the Microsoft tools that are out there or Salesforce, that content, there's so much content out there that you that learning professionals can leverage that you don't have to create it by yourself. So either uh, learning leaders are either 
leveraging the free content that's out there, or they're bu also buying content libraries like LinkedIn Learning has the lynda.com content or Pluralsight for some of the uh, tech content, or you'll have um, Coursera or edX to get some uh, micro um, degrees or nano degrees and uh, courseware that way. Some of that is is paid content, but a lot of it is free content. So it's this combination that you know of all of this content that you that you provide for your employees that makes it so powerful. And this other idea about a learning experience platform in regards to content is that there's two ways that people get content within Degree. One is that we use machine learning to actually understand, here's an employee that says they're interested in learning more about data analytics. So the machine learning within Degree will start offering up content to a learner based on what they said that they wanted to learn. So think about Spotify for music. A lot of what um, Degree does is offer up learning based on what it knows you want to learn. And then the second thing is, is that then you can actually curate content. You can actually say, look, there's, there, here's an article about data analytics here and a podcast and a video over here. I'm going to curate all the best content about data analytics, and I'm going to serve it up to you in a pathway. And that can be done either by the L&D organization or by subject matter experts. And so you have a lot of content pathways based on different topics and different areas that people want to learn about. And so I'd say content now, just like technology, you need to think, of, think about it differently. You need to think about a content strategy in a whole new way. And so I think that the role of the chief learning officer or learning leaders is becoming more complex and, uh, and that we need to understand what that means and that there's a technology component and a content component and uh, and several things and and the data analytics component and all those all those things converge to to make up your learning strategy. So hopefully that answers your question around content. But it's a whole it's a whole different category now. I know I, I'm sure that you know a totally you know separate podcast can be done just on this part, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I think, Kelly, uh, you know, you totally justify the whole workplace future is better as well. Uh, I, I'm really amazed by the ideas that we've had in the podcast so far. Uh, so, you know, before I bind up the podcast, I have two more questions that I ask all the guests in the podcast. So the first one here is, you know, as an influencer, uh, there are many people who actually inspires you. So who would actually be on the top of that list? Yeah, I, I have two uh, answers to that right now. And I'd say, the person who's inspired me the most over the last three years has been David Blake, my my co-author of, of the book and the co-founder of Degreed, because I I saw I met a guy who who is so passionate about learning that he poured his whole his whole life and his and his passion into building this company to really help people change the way they learn. And, uh, and I don't know that I've seen someone with so much passion around changing. And it's not just about building a, a, a company, which is definitely part of it, but really David's passion goes beyond that. It's around really trying to make an impact in the world, helping you know everybody 
realize that there are, are different ways to get expertise and that it's not always about spending a lot of money on a college degree, even though you might also do that, but it's about giving everybody the opportunity to learn what they need in order to get uh, further in their careers or, or to realize their uh, life's ambitions. So I'd say David has, um, has really influenced me and inspired me a lot around, around this whole notion of, uh, of learning. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say from a, from a, a more well-known person, I'd say uh, Michelle Obama is another person that's influenced me a lot. Again, someone who's uh, inspired me to, uh, to realize that you can take your passions and actually uh, apply them and, and make great things happen. So I'd say those two people. Yeah, that's just perfect. And uh, and I have one more question for you before we go. Uh, so that's like, um, so what is the one word or phrase that comes to your mind about uh, digital transformation and adoption? Yeah, the, the one word that comes to mind for me is journey. And the reason I say that is that I, I believe that we're all on a journey together in this quest to help, you know, help the world uh, learn and and actually I, I believe learning has the power to change lives and transform the world and so we're on this journey together and I would say if you're a learning leader out there or if you're a business leader that that we're all on a journey to, together and people are at different parts of that journey and that that we'll get there but our our goal is to always help each other one of the things that I love so much about the learning industry is is that it does feel like we're all in this together and that we're trying to help each other on this journey to move from kind of these older antiquated models of learning into this new world of, of work and learning. And that uh, everybody I meet along the, uh, along this journey is willing to help others uh, succeed on their journey. So that's pretty cool. I, I like that a lot. So I would, I would leave it with that. I mean, that's uh, beautifully put. Uh, and uh, it, it was an incredible uh, thing, actually, today. Uh, you also shared your whole journey. And uh, I'm sure so much of different learning and uh, takeaways from all the different questions that you answered. And uh, Kelly, it's really been incredible. And uh, I wanted to thank you for joining us on this podcast. And it's definitely one of the amazing episodes uh, that we have in this season. Thank you, Gokal. It's been such a great uh, pleasure to be with you today. Thanks for asking me. And so for all the listeners who are, uh, you know, who might have some questions, uh, it would be great if you could actually share uh, how they could reach out to you. Yes. Uh, again, I'd like to mention the expertiseeconomy.com is uh, a place where you can learn more about myself, David, and the book and also contact us there. Um, you can always reach out to me on LinkedIn and uh, I'm also at kelly at degree.com. So any of those ways, I'd love, love to hear from you. Perfect. So uh, that's it, guys. So last but not the least, if you are uh, looking for a digital adoption solution to streamline your digital adoption, then also do check out whatfix.com. Uh, we have something really interesting for you. And Kelly, once again, thank you for this podcast and stay tuned to the next episode of Digital Adoption Show for some great content and some incredible speakers. So this is Gokul signing off for the day. Have a great one. Uh -huh.